Okay, we are live. Welcome back to another episode of The Church in Your Head. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And Brandon, this will be a good one. Um, yeah, I'm I first want to make a quick shout out. We've, we've actually gotten quite a bit of followers. I've gotten some good personal messages, DMs. So thank you for those who are reaching out and, and uh, giving us. We're actually getting some good love. Um, not to say that we're looking at this as numbers, um, but it is nice to see just the feedback and um, kind of confirming that this is not really necessarily eye-opening, but this has brought clarity. Um, and it's bringing, obviously, you and I, we're, we're learning as we go, too, in some capacity. So I, I really appreciate yeah. those who take the time to engage with us on Twitter or send us emails. Um, it is, it's, we're humbled to, to be even uh, requested for, you know, to, to discord with, with others that we don't know of. And that's, you know, that's, uh, that's a nice thing, I think. We can be civil about this, and and we're all looking for the same kind of truth, which is the implied title of the objective truth of um, of this Christian journey. So I'll let you get into it, Brandon. But just quickly, we're going to touch on. I know we're kind of this is an extension of the last episode we talked about. You know, really the meaning in the text. Therefore, the text reflects the meaning. This is a circular argument. We see this a lot in Protestant circles, um, pun intended, about how do you come to the conclusion of what. The meaning actually is and what we've explained in the last episode is that the meaning oftentimes is merged with the text and so it's really on you which most of the time you're coming to the table with the meaning already and you're fitting it into what you see and read in scripture so we're going to kind of take the road of, of transcendentals we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, nothing too deep i know like it's deep into philosophical categories but i think what you've talked about brandon before this would be a good refresher a little bit of the Council of Ephesus, talk about Nestorius. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited for this show. It's going be a good one. Yeah, yeah. And I think to kind of piggyback on the last episode, we brought up the idea of the impossibility of the contrary. And the possibility of the contrary is a transcendental argument. I know we kind of touched on that kind of in passing, so it's probably a good idea we break into it. So transcendental categories are basically things that we cannot see. So an uh, example is laws of logic. Like we cannot see the laws of logic, but we assume it's there. Like all of us are using it every day. Mm -hmm. uh, the concept of like abstract concepts, numbers, which we brought up last time. Now, if we t told you, go find me the actual number two, uh, you'd be like, well, where, where, where? I, I don't know where I can find the actual one. I can draw you one. Well, exactly. Because um, ab abstract concepts, you cannot empirically verify. Now, when we say empirically verify, that means you cannot, um, you know, see them basically you know with your senses you cannot just go you can't go touch a number two you can't see a number two um same thing with laws of logic right you don't see it like in the forest somewhere you're like hanging out with your family right and you're like oh hey there's the laws of logic hmm. right there there it is no no no. we assume that they're there but they cannot be empirically verified so uh in understanding that and understanding scripture and how many people will claim that they're seeing the meaning in scripture. Like you have six people getting together and they're like, Hey, Hey, uh, this is what I see in scripture. And somebody says, well, no, this is what I see in scripture. And then you have somebody else is saying it. And the whole thing is like, how can we come to an objective basis of looking at these claims and saying, okay, I can't just go with what you see because it, it's contrary to what they see. Mm -hmm. So the transcendental argument comes in and goes, okay, I'm going to have to use something I cannot see to be able to discern if what you're seeing is actually grounded in the mind of God, 
not just in your mind. And that is essentially what the amazing thing about these transcendental categories and the transcendental argument does. It doesn't allow someone to just come up to you and say, hey, look, it's clear in scripture. You just need to accept it. That's what it is. We can say, hold up, hold up. I I am allowed to question what you say is clear in scripture, right? And everybody should say, yes. Okay. So you said these verses here equal this doctrine here. Okay. Well, I want to question that. Okay. Does, does the verses that you're using, does that line up with the meaning in the conciliar mind of the church? And here's the thing. If somebody says, well, and this goes back to the transcendental argument of the impossibility of the contrary, they say, well, I don't need to accept the church, the, that they're fallible and they, you know, they wouldn't know or whatever they'll say, right? They're, they're, they went into apostasy or, or whatever, you know, glorified yeah. Bible study. Well, that's the thing though, is that, well, now we're at a state of you just made the impossibility of the contrary. If we don't go to the conciliar mind of the church, then we are defaulting to individual minds to tell us what is truth. Or scholars. We, or we or scholars. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, scholars, right? So somebody might take a scholar and go, well, I have this scholar here that discredits this council. And I'm like, well, you've still done the same thing. You're still on the same plane because somebody else can take another scholar and affirm that council. See, so so you're in this constant, like, I see it in scripture. Not only that, I have this scholar that says this, like I've you know heard a lot of universalists say, oh yeah, the fifth council was wrong about universalism. I have this scholar and he said there was all this weird stuff going on at that council. So that council's wrong. Then somebody else could take it in another council and say, oh, look, there was a lot of people during the Arian crisis who believed Arianism. So what about that? How do you explain that? Right? So, so they'll take all these arguments and they'll try to basically move us away from the conciliar mind of the church to their meaning. Because that's the thing. They'll say this verse plus this verse equals this doctrine. But that's the thing. If it doesn't equal what's in the mind of the church, it's just your meaning or some other person's meaning that you think is really smart. Right? I mean, we'll say, well, this person's really smart. They have a theological degree. So we should just go with what they say. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The church is a divine institution. It is not just a bunch of of bishops who are just like, oh yeah, I'm the authoritative bishop, so I get to decide what's truth. No, it's a divine institution that was set up by Christ. So if we deny that, and we say there's no possibility that these uh, bishops have access to the mind of God, then we've completely destroyed the possibility of knowledge altogether. Well, it's funny because yeah, you, it. you can do that, but then we, we can quickly talk about universals, right? Don't people that reject that still make universal claims? about like we all, or they should all see it. We even saw that on Twitter the other day. Uh, what did they say? Uh, you know, um, everyone should be able to see. So using everyone, meaning that there's a, a universal implication as there is a, a one acceptance in which the interpretation should be super clear. Everyone should be clear about this XYZ passage. But at the same time, I think this person also rejected the idea of the councils being infallible, that we don't need that. We should just all see. They're making a universal claim, and I think with the transcendental argument, um, again, we don't go too deep in this, but you can take the leap that if there are universals, it has to come from something. And we would say that leads up to the Trinitarian Godhead who's revealed, or they've revealed these universal truths. And we would say doctrine, dogma is a universal truth. 
it's just not meant for the individual to discover it. It's it's through, we keep saying, the concealing mind of the church. Um, back to the Lego analogy, right? I think that's something we should bring up again for oh, yeah. time listeners. Yeah, I think it's one of the best ones. And, you know, go buy a box of Legos out there and just, you know, come home with it and um, and open it up and then just say, okay, look, um, I don't want to use the box. Uh, for whatever reason, I think, you know, I, I think this, they, 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 they got the pieces right. But the the meaning uh, on the box that these are supposed to convey, um, the, yeah, that's wrong. That's wrong. So I'm going to take the pieces and I'm just going to look at them for a while. And you know what? I think I'm, the meaning is going to show up. I'm going to I'm just going to I'm going to look at them. And you know what? I know what it, it, these are actually supposed to build. And that's the problem right there. Because as soon as we say, "Oh yeah, I'm not going to take the box what was received to me," and by the way, it was the church who put those pieces together, put those the inspired books together for you. So you're receiving that as well as the meaning from the conciliar church. And it's going to be really hard for someone to, uh, to, to say that's not true because the Bible, after Jesus ascended, there wasn't a book that fell out of the sky. I'm just thinking about uh, like Thor's hammer just hits the ground. And there, there, there you go. You have all the, all the books together. No, no, no. It was <laughs> put together over time and it was discerned by the conciliar mind of the church who have access to the divine mind. See, again, there's no other place to go to have an objective truth claim, okay? We'll welcome anybody to come on this show, anybody, and explain how you can objectively say that someone else is wrong by by rejecting all seven of the ecumenical councils. We welcome anybody to. Well, and when we say anybody, and and I can sense your your passion, which is good. This is all undergirded with people who've misused and abused this entire principle and this basically system in which you can come to the text with your interpretation. Some of the past shows we've talked about uh, my personal experiences, which is running into people who either were pastors that are no longer pastors that have walked away from the faith. Many people who just left the church that were sitting under this type of philosophy that the pastor comes. Again, we, we, I want to emphasize this. Sometimes it's not, um, it, it is more or less a bit of an ignorance. You know, it's not, it's not intentional, but it's, it's usually just the way they kind of operate and have been taught by other folks and in, in particular books and, and influencers in the Christian circle. And we've seen this kind of this, especially nowadays, where there's just this massive exodus of those that are, are tired of the fluff. And this all stems back on what, what this quote unquote pastor might see in scripture, which is really doing more harm than good. Um, I'd say even like, like a couple of days ago, I just chatted with another gentleman who, who left the church. I hate hearing these stories. I don't know why I keep getting them exposed to me uh, because they, uh, they, the church decided to go in a different direction and wanted to promote more female pastors. Um, and so he and his family left and I, he just politely told me why. And I was just like, Oh, that's interesting. And he said before they weren't, but they just, they felt like what they, what, how they read the Bible. Um, and they even have it on their, their statement of faith, um, almost making a truth claim. The Bible promotes this, you know, gender equality, things of that nature. And it was, it just goes back to the idea that all of this is just, it's harming people. It's giving them no certitude and divine truth. It's giving them a, a mixed uh, opinion around human truths, which is usually rooted with scholars, books, authors of those people. And so that's where the passion comes from. Uh, to those who are hearing this thinking like we're mad at everybody, we're definitely not. Uh, we just want to, we want to show that there's many, many people that have been deceived and scripture makes it clear about that too. Uh, and we just want to you know, do our best to, to convey that there is objective truth. And so uh, the councils give us that. And we can talk a little bit about um, 
emphasis in a minute, but yeah, keep going though. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you highlighted is that's the thing is that this whole argument, it, it, it really helps to make sure that you are not being deceived and you have to be able to say there's objective heresy to be right. able to claim somebody's deceiving you. Someone's teaching wrongly. And that's the whole basis of this. Okay. You don't get to just go around and, and, and I guess I'm just, you know, talking to someone who's, you know, let's just say a pastor or a priest, somebody just doesn't get to go to you and say, look, I have a degree and this is what's clear in scripture and you just have to accept it. You know how many people are hurt by those type of statements? And for somebody to come up to us and say, um, sorry, you're, everybody's just fallible. We can't know. Um, so, okay. So wait a minute. We're, everybody's just fallible. We can't know. So does that mean that a pastor in, according to your worldview, can hurt somebody but we can't with know. false teaching, and it's okay. So, so that's okay then. I would just ask you out there uh, who, who claim that everybody's fallible, that nobody can know, that the church uh, does not, is not able to discern uh, the divine mind, truth, and, and all that stuff. So I think that's, the, that's where, you, where, where the onus is now on you to explain yourself and say, oh, oh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, as long as the pastor's doing his best, he can preach heresy. As long as he's sincerely, you know, doing it and, you know, he's not trying to teach heresy. No, no, sorry. That, that doesn't work either. Um, we are not ignorant. We all, if we want to know objective truth, you can know it. And we're just showing you the, the, the basis, the worldview of, of how you can know it. And, and it's awesome. And for yeah. anybody to tell you, you can't know objective truth, like, does that mean like we're conspiracy theorists? Would that would somebody tell us that? Like, I mean, I almost felt like I was treated like that when I was on my journey. Like, I don't know if you ever felt that way, Scott, but it was like everybody around us, like, stop searching for it. You're you're never gonna find it. There's not- there's there's yeah. definitely an emphasis of people that push back on that. It's what you're really exposing is the comfortable nature in which they are in. Meaning that if they accept this this philosophy of objective truth being real, and we're showing that through transcendentals and, and even the last show around numbers and, and all of that. And even if you haven't, go back and take a look at the the show we talked about how objectively identifying a false teacher, a false wolf, right? Um, we, we ought to know what they look like. And if you can't, again, then it goes back to, well, if they're sincere, that could be a sincere loving wolf. And we would never say that's a good thing. But it, it does, I, I think the most of the time that those that push back, Brennan, are in their mind, if they accept kind of what some of the things we're making to be true, that would potentially mean they'd either have to leave the church, um, which is uncomfortable. Uh, some of them are there really more because of the relationships they built. And again, I'm going to reiterate this too. This show is not meant for mass exodus out of a church. Ideally, we would want conversations to happen. There's a lot of podcasts out there that just want to point you away and get out of that church. Sometimes you do. Don't get me wrong. We know those churches, but there are others that you just God can certainly transform an autonomous, non-denominational evangelical church. Uh, and so we don't want this to be where you hear something and, and you realize, okay, this might mean I just need to bail. Like, no, it, hopefully by God's divine you know, grace and, and power by the Holy Spirit would allow for a good conversation to have based off what you've learned to bring up to your pastor and see where it goes. You know, we don't necessarily want you to just quit and leave. But yeah, I think on the journey, even for me, I think it's just people that they just think if they accept this, they, they, they're going to uproot their, their livelihood and it's going to be uncomfortable. And so it's easier to keep it surfacey. Like, I don't, don't want to go there. We know people that are like that um, because if they were to accept it, 
that would rock and change their world a little bit. And, you know, people like to be comfortable, um, especially nowadays more than ever with a lot of uncertainty out there. So I get it. Right. I, I was there. I mean, how long did it take us for us to finally like accept the shoes? Even some of the shoes weren't necessarily like, I would say all good, but we had enough to it, like open the eyes. And then there was that question like, or what are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> yeah. That's, 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 yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I mean, I, we're not saying like, it's like, okay, this is an overnight thing, but to tell somebody that nobody has access and you can't know objective truth, I think is demonic. Yeah, I'll flat out say it. I think it's yeah. demonic. I think I think the demons' number one lie is to say there is no objective truth. You can't know it. All you can know is empirical sense data of what you receive on your brain from the scripture. So when you open it up and it imprints on your brain, well, well, however you interpret that, that's all you get. That's all you got. I hope you find the right way. Oh yeah, by the way, your scripture does talk about false teachers. Scripture does talk about doctrines of demons. But hey, when you when that when your empirical sense data, you open that Bible, it prints on your head, uh, in your mind. Hopefully, it's in printing the right stuff, because you better make sure you're uh, believing the right stuff, right? I mean, we all agree that there's false teaching, right? But the question is, is can we objectively identify it? And with transcendental arguments, you can, yeah. because you can use the laws of logic. You can ask somebody, okay, look, I understand. I saw a dispensationalist on Twitter and they were, they were throwing all their verses out to say, look, look, this is, this is uh, all uh, true. You see, this, this shows how dispensationalism was true. And uh, if you look, uh, you know, one of the ecumenical councils uh, condemned that as a heresy called Chileism. So yeah. I mean, that, that's something where it's like, okay, well, y- you have all your verses, you know, you got your uh, John MacArthur study Bible, you got, you know, and you're pointing to all dispensational verses, but guess what? The way you're building the Legos that does not point to what was in the conciliar mind of the church. Chileism was a heresy. Yeah. And so that's where, see, do you see how I'm grounding my claim? I'm not going back to, I'm not taking my verses and going, well, actually, you know what? No, it's, it's post-millennialism. That's the right way. See all my verses? No, no, no. That's not what we're doing here. We're still using the text, but we're making sure the text we're using is affirming what's on the box, what was revealed. Again, see, that's the whole thing. If the church is a divine institution, they can reveal to us, clarify what is the right meaning. Yeah. And so that I we're think, not constantly like wondering, okay, you have your verses, I got my verses, we'll just have a nice day. <laughs> and, and that unfortunately that happens more often than not. Now, some that might be listening thinking, okay, you keep bringing up these councils and maybe that, let's just conclude or let's assume some don't necessarily think of them as infallible. Well, because you brought up the Seventh Ecumenical Council. Let's start with maybe more of a, a common agreeing factor around um, creeds and let's it's the nicene the long version nicene constantinople creed but we call it the nicene creed right for the most part most churches i would say high churches would would chant that and recite that or at the very least have it on somewhere on their website as a statement of faith and i've even seen some of the uh, evangelical churches um post that and for the most part even non-denom churches if, if you gave them the nicene creed and told them to read it and say what do you think of it is this true I would say nine times out of 10, they would say, yeah, it is. So let's talk about the impossibility of the contrary, right? Let's assume that not just, we won't go with all the councils, but let's just assume that the councils that built the Nicene, because it ended up being about three or four, uh, that they were really were just mere men who could have gotten it wrong. Um, how do we take this argumentation where we, in theory, everyone would say, I believe and confirm the Nicene Creed. We hold to it. You hear that? I hear that a lot. Um, 
what would you say with somebody who accepts that the councils really were still just glorified Bible says they weren't infallible, Brandon, but I like Nicaea or I like the Nicene Creed. Uh, how do you take that? And we talked about the argumentation to conclude what the, uh, the dangers or, or what would that open up Pandora's box, if you will, uh, based off of something that they agree to be true with Nicaea, uh, the creed anyways, uh, but also make the same claim that all the councils didn't provide the objective truths because they were infallible men. Well, the fallible comment um, is always implying that we do not have access to the mind of God. Nobody does. So if, if they're just making these statements um, based on what they think, um, then it is just grounded in simply their own collective minds. They're kind of just deciding together that, okay, we think, you know, based on what we see in scripture, um, this is what is uh, true. Um, there is no, uh, I guess you'd say, certitude that this is right. Yeah. Um, Arius could be right. Um, but this is what we think. We kind of all got together. Most of us think that uh, that Arius is wrong. So, so that's it. You got a fallible opinion. Nobody has access to the mind of God, and that's it. And that's it's, what um, it's some, all in the text. Yeah, the that, that's right. That's right. All we have is the text. Okay, what you see is what you get. Basically, that's that's <laughs> what it is. That's that's kind of what it is. It's and um, and you kind of just uh, you you assume this, and and really that's the thing. When you take away the divine institution of the church, that there really is like Christ is there leading his church by the Holy Spirit. Um, when you take that away, yeah, you you don't have an objective truth claim. You can't say Arius was objectively wrong anymore because it's just you and your verses, just like it was Arius and his verses. See, you're on the same plane as Arius at that point. You're on the same plane as a Mormon at that point. You just have your verses. And it's what you see is what you get. It imprints on your empirical sense data, your mind again, you know, and, and that's it. That's all you're getting. And that that's it. I mean, and that's what's sad though, is that... Um, when you take away, you know, let's just talk about Jesus for a second. You know, when he's when he's uh, having that little uh, confrontation there between him and uh, the devil and, uh, you know, Satan quotes the scriptures to him, you know, and you see him and he doesn't just go, oh, yeah, OK, yeah, it's the scriptures. There it is. All right, I'm going to go jump off now and and the angels are going to catch me and I'm all good to go. No, 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 because the meaning wasn't in the text. The meaning was in the divine mind, Jesus Christ, who has a divine mind and a human mind. So that's the thing. The meaning, Christ had the meaning. The devil's not going to trick him. He has the meaning. And guess what? The church has access to the divine mind through the Holy Spirit. Christ deifies that humanity. So the idea too, let's talk, I mean, might as well just break into the idea of individual believers. Can individual believers discern truth? Of course they can. Yes. But you have to repent first. See, that's, that's the biggest thing I think that a lot of people are missing in this whole fallible thing. When Christ uh, deifies your human nature um, you know, at the incarnation, when he deifies that human nature, um, what do you think happens to us as believers when we repent? We are deified. Our reasoning faculties, we can truly now see the world correctly, and we can understand where truth is. How can we walk in truth if we can't objectively know where it is? And this is the point where the Calvinist mindsets who try to say, oh, we're all fallible, they miss the whole Christology picture of the incarnation. The idea that Christ assumes also a human mind, deifies that human mind, gives his followers who repent, cleanses their mind to be able to understand and rightly interpret the world now we can rightly identify truth. That's the whole basis of the incarnation. Christ is assuming all of our humanity. He doesn't leave 
one thing out. Our yeah. will is also there, a human will, a human mind, a human soul, a body like ours. See, this is where when you when you leave out proper Christology, uh, this is where you miss out on understanding how can there be objective truth because it goes back to the incarnation. And that, you know, you look more into Apollinarianism and he believed that Christ, you know, uh, divine mind replaced essentially human mind, the intellect, the reasoning faculties. So that's where our reasoning faculties are when they're healed through repentance. We can now see clearly um, uh, how to be guided by objective truth. Yeah. And we find by the impossibility of the contrary, when we use the laws of logic, which we can't see, then we can use those um, in, in the right way through Christ's power to be able to see truth. And I think that's where, if you look at how the atheists will use reason, they use logic and reason to suppress the knowledge of God, right? Somebody who's not a Christian, you see them, they try to use arguments like evolution, all these other things to try to uh, suppress the truth. But when they repent, then their mind now can be cleansed, healed, to be able to understand and walk in truth. Think about all the places in the scriptures where it says walk in truth. How do you walk in truth if truth is just your mental construct? Yeah. Okay, you walk in your truth, I'll walk in my truth. You see how uh, like uh, stupid it sounds? Like it's 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 literally like we're we're we make ourselves look so stupid. I'm sorry, when you say that nobody can know, we're all fallible, we're all we nobody has access to the mind of God because it's like you've literally cut the possibility of knowledge out from under everybody's feet. Let's take Christian. an example. Let's take an example here using that. If it's just your truth versus my truth, let's go back again, going back to the councils. We often always go back to that. Let's even go to the council of Ephesus with a man named Nestorius. You know, he came with his truth around and particularly around Christ and, and the nature. And then he was going against, if you go, you know, it, it'd be a good episode to talk about a little bit more into that in depth, but um, with Cyril versus Nestorius. And, you know, if we accepted the idea that it's okay to just have differentiating opinions or truths, because because certainly Nestorius did come in. And I want to make a caveat. Every heresy that we brought in, Polinarianism, Arianism, Nestorianism, the list goes on. They have all led to these sectarianistic, you know, religions that are, have nothing to do with the true proper Trinitarian Christological, like truths, proper, you know, proper doctrine, proper theology. They're all what we would say are false religions. Some of them are obvious, you know, like Joe's Witness, Mormons, etc. Some of them are not as obvious, but enough to know that okay, this is this isn't Chris, this isn't Christian. Um, but going into the idea of like, if, you know, if we accept the Nicene Creed and we say that is true, and then you take what you just said, Brandon, but it's your truth versus my truth, then in theory there could be an alternative version of the Nicene Creed that would be Nestorius's version, and in theory he's not wrong. If he wants to, to separate the natures of Christ to be two persons. He can do that because he came with the, with his conclusions on the text of what his reason and logic came to the conclusion. And that would be that you, you can't. That's with the possibility of contrary believing that there's no such thing as an objective truth within the councils, that they weren't infallibly inspired, that they were capable of being an error. So you can't say and long story short, you can't say I believe in nice the Nicene Creed. But I, I also believe that the councils could have been wrong. It, it's almost like it's a contradictory argument. You either accept it fully as true, because when you do, let's talk about that. When you fully accept it that they were infallibly inspired, so when the Nicene Creed, when you read about it or you chant it at your church, you can confidently know that that is a reflection given by the divine mind, and it is a reflection of the text. It wasn't one individual. It wasn't even Cyril of Alexander who came to the text. It ended up being the conciliar mind of that of, in that time, which you would have the consultation of the West and East, which, funny enough, 
Um, I, I think it was Cyril and when they wrote their letters, they consulted the Pope of the West, um, Celestine, I think is what his name was, for him to kind of see which would be right. But ultimately, he even said, I will leave it up to the consensus that, that all of the bishops, what the conclusion is. He had his he had his conclusion and he said, I go as Cyril, um, you know, to you know, two, one person, two natures. Uh, but the whole point of that is we accept we accept the infallibility of these councils, not just one. We don't cherry pick because if you don't, then you can't. Again, we said this before. You can't get mad when a Jewish witness comes to the text with their truth. You can't get mad with a different what, name other religion. Right. When they come to the text with their truth, because at the end of the day, your presuppositions around infallibility of objective truth, it, it doesn't exist. And so two plus two can be six for some people if they genuinely feel it and experience it in all of their heart, just like you can't say Nestorius was wrong in this particular scenario. But in the, in the case of this, the Nicene Creed condemns the Nestorius's view about the Christological nature of, of Christ. And, and so we, th that becomes so problematic when you just pick and choose which pieces. And we said this before too, Brandon, right? The Council of Carthage, which basically is where the canons of scripture were formed, that didn't actually happen until after, um, much later on. Um, so it's not like they even had the whole Bible to work with when they were going through these heresies. And this all circles back to there's wolves in sheep's clothing, there's false teachers. These are the people that want you to believe in reality that Nestorius, Arius, Apollinarius, all these guys, they had a genuine uh, thought process on how they went to the text and what they saw seemed right in their eyes because they saw it empirically and they came in there. Some of them were more persuasive than others, but the point being they, they had their conclusions that they thought were right. And if it's just a matter of your truth versus my truth, you can't get mad at these other religions when you, or you can't even say they're wrong. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, they, in their mind are right. And, and unfortunately we have these schisms where there's just another denomination that gets built out or another church that gets branched. Um, off of the original church. And there's all these splits that happen over the empirical sense data. This, this, the, what do they call it? The, um, the peripatetic accent, or I think it's something like that, right? Another philosophical term, but it, it just always goes back to the, your mind. What you see is true. And if somebody else is seeing something different, then you kind of part ways and Nicaea and all of the councils, um, Ephesus, Constantinople, there was parting ways but it was, we are right, you are condemned. And if you don't repent, you're going to continue to, you know, you're outside of the church, um, which I think that's what we need to keep emphasizing that schisms were a big deal in the early church is either one truth or no truth, right? It wasn't just a, a differentiating of opinions. That would be true if you accepted that the councils are more or less just glorified Bible studies that were doing their very best to attempt to see what they see in scripture against some of these truth claims that were made by the Arius of the world and the Nestorius of the world. Uh, but that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. The peripatetic axiom of uh, there's nothing in the mind that isn't first in the senses. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole thing is, yeah, it's like, it, am I just going to go with what I can see or am I going to receive what was clarified for me? And, and in this point in history, that's where we're at. The Lego box, the pieces have already been put in. What's on the box has already been decided. Do I take it and receive it? Do I make sure that when I'm interpreting the scriptures, I'm not going outside the boundaries of these different heresies? And, you know, I'm not going into dispensationalism. 
because that yeah, and that was Ephesus, by the way, who condemned Chileism. Um, yeah, I'm not going into that heresy, right? Because I can see, oh, they they already had the meaning, and the meaning that was reflected that there this person is saying uh, with dispensationalism, they're putting the verses together to say this is what reflects. No, this doesn't reflect in the mind of the church. This doesn't reflect that. You know, it's like you two, it said two plus two equals six. This verse plus this verse, uh, I'm sorry, it doesn't equal dispensationalism Doctrine. according hmm. to the church. You can take all your verses like a math equation and go this verse plus this verse plus this verse plus this verse equals this. And like, no, no, it doesn't equal the box. You keep not building it according to the box and people keep pushing back on you. Oh, they didn't know what they were talking about. They're fallible. Uh, they went into apostasy. I'm like, okay, well, now we're back to impossibility of the contrary. Okay. So now you've you've basically hit the red button, destroyed all the possibility of objective truth, and now we're all just in a sea of relativism. And yeah, and that's can you that's see what's sad. can you see meaning? Like we talked about this last show, you know the the meaning and the text. That, that we, if you separate it, where is meaning? Like where is the numbers? How would you explain someone like that? Because if, if we're saying the other alternative is the text and meaning are collapsed, and therefore the text should reveal the meaning, and you should just see it in the text. That becomes a little bit more construed because it's it's really you're coming to the text with your meaning in your head. So the meaning has been revealed, but by your mind or your eyeballs or whatever you want to want to relate this original source from. Where is meaning? Like where is numbers? How would you kind of go? Well, down yeah, that's that the thing. Meaning itself. I mean, there's no actual physical matter that you hold up and say, "Oh, hey, look this this is meaning right here. I have meaning." I mean, when you say words, you assume. Meaning, right? Meaning, like, you know, like the idea of universals, you know, there's concept of words, you know, words would have meaning for you to understand. Um, however, when it comes to the idea of using the Bible as just, okay, well, I can understand the Bible just like I can um, any other text. Well, no, that's, that's not the way it goes, because if that were the case, if the scriptures were speaking the same meaning across the board, just again, let's go back to the David Bentley Hart Universalists and the Calvinists, uh, the double predestination Calvinists. Go to both parties, open Romans 9 through 11, and ask them, what is the meaning? One of them's going to tell you, oh, that's universalism. And the other one's going to tell you the meaning is double predestination. So, right there, and, and here, here, here's where you, everything would fall apart. You objectively can't say which one of them are wrong. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. You cannot say, I objectively can know because the meaning, because guess where you put the meaning by you saying they're wrong. You're saying the meaning now in, is in your mind. So the meaning, it, it, it's not a neutral ground of the scripture. It's not like you come to the scripture and it's like, okay, everybody's at a neutral ground. When the words go into my mind and, the, and, and, and the, these words, Romans 9 through 11, they hit my empirical senses and they imprint on my mind. I'm like, okay, it's all saying this, right guys? And it was, no. Mm -hmm. It's not saying that. Well, wait a minute. It's right there, though. And the universal is like, no, it's not. It's actually this. So that's why the whole argument falls apart, trying to put the meaning in the text. Because you, when you look at both of them, let's say you disagreed with both of them. Let's just assume. Let's just assume you, you didn't believe Romans 9 through 11 was speaking of double predestination or universalism. And you tried to say, you know what, objectively, that... I can tell you that you're objectively wrong. You, you wouldn't be able to. Yeah. That's the thing because the meaning is not found. It's like, it's not like, okay, it's, it's not going to be found. Like as soon as you, you look at it, it's like, Oh, there it is. 
There it is right there. And we've had multiple people tell us, well, you, it's not my fault. You can't see it. But it's like, you're still not giving us an objective claim of why that meaning is objective over somebody else's. Yeah. Because when you like, ask them that, they're like, well, it's just, it tends to kind of be ad hoc. I've heard like, just like, well, it's not my fault. You can't see it. Yeah. It's that's, like, just... that's, that's, it's, you're not justifying it though. You're not grounding it. You're just kind of saying it's there. And then we're just kind of supposed to accept it. You're not giving us any objective basis. You could say, well, this scholar believes that that's how it should be interpreted. Or this church father says that this is how it should be interpreted. But meaning, there's a place where meaning is, just like with numbers. There's a place where the actual number two is. Well, even so with the numbers, like if two plus two is reduced to when you see it, it becomes four. So only four is only a result of two plus two if it's in a written form, which I can see with my eyes. So there's that sense data we've been talking about. But we would all know that even if it's not written on a whiteboard and someone just tells you two plus two is four, they're conveying meaning that isn't reflective of a description of, of a, a visual representation. It, the meaning is abstract. It's the laws of logic that allow us to conclude that. So someone who was in that same argumentation, but is just using math and they say, you know, they have to write it, write it down first before they even start the argument, before we even get to the conclusion of, of what the, this plus this is this, we have to write it on the whiteboard so as to see it. All right. Everyone's got the same formula, two plus two. And then someone comes in and says, that's five. And the other one comes in and says, that's six. So now it's the same scenario. You're looking at both those guys and you can't go and say, they're both wrong based off of like, you don't see it either because it's written incorrectly. You can objectively say, well, clearly both of you are wrong because I can tell you two plus two is four, regardless of you written that makes it five or that how you see it makes it six. You're grounding your truth claim because of the laws of logic in that case and math being abstract numbers, et cetera. The same thing goes with the scriptures. It's just, just because it's written down doesn't mean that's the only form in which we have to understand what the meaning is. No different than the numbers and the conclusions of a mathematical equation can only be understood and revealed only when it's written down. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like it's, it's like, you're not going to say, well, I'm not going to believe two plus two is four unless you show me the actual yeah, number two. I see it on the chalkboard. I, I want to yeah. see it. No, I want to see the actual number two. Like, no, you're, that's, that's not how it works with meaning. It's like, no, there is a meaning that scripture conveys. But as you see with many people, uh, seeing let's just say seeing, seeing let's is just, meaning yeah, seeing, seeing is meaning seeing is meaning right yeah, yeah. If, if if that's the whole thing you cannot empirically verify meaning you have to ground the truth claim beyond what you can see transcendental essentially means beyond right beyond it's like you're you're using an argument that's beyond our empirical sense data to uh, our senses to be able to ground a truth claim so whatever you claim you're seeing guess what it's okay to question and that's the, that's the most important part of this episode. You can question anybody who says it's clear in scripture. Including us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Including us. So when you're, when you, we're just telling you, look, the pieces should match what's on the box. And if the pieces, now we're not saying the councils took every single passage of scripture and said, here's the meaning for every single, no, no. Right, I mean, right. a lot of it's not. Christology. I mean, they did throw Chileism in there. So definitely look into that regarding, uh, you know, uh, the millennialism stuff. Um, but yeah, it's like being able to use what you can't see to, which is transcendental categories, to be able to confirm what somebody's claiming they see, that's the whole important part of this. Because transcendentals, their existence is in the divine mind. Right. And truth is in the divine mind. So the scriptures, yes, we use you use scripture. You should read scripture. But we're telling you don't read it apart from the church, apart from the concealer mind of the church, would say. Yeah. Because, yeah, you could say, well, I don't, you know, all... 
I'll read it, you know, I won't read it apart from the this denomination. No, 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 not denominations. No, 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 don't, don't read it apart from the councils, their dogmatic decisions when it comes to understanding truth. So that way you're not, you're not falling into a claim of, oh, wow, you're kind of going into historianism now. Yeah. Or you're kind of, so that's where you see, this is where the objective objectivity is, is when you, you, when you're still reading the scriptures, but you're, you're always taking account of where the meaning is, the objective meaning is, so you're not falling into heresy. Yeah, no, that's very good. I think this is a, probably a good place to stop. Um, and I think hopefully, and again, please follow us and, and, and respond back because this is helping us um, formulate and ultimately shape episodes we do. We've even had some people that have asked us to do certain shows. Uh, so we're always open for requests, uh, things that we can kind of um, elaborate on a bit more is also helpful. So, and then things that we may be needed to be challenged on. I think that's also, I, I don't want a bunch of yes people. I don't think you do either, Brandon. I think we no. want to be challenged because, you know, we're, we're very consistent. I think if you look and listen to all of our shows, we, we hopefully have a, this cohesive message around the same thing, around objective truth, church not, church not being in your own head, your own mind, and that it's outside of us. And we love to use the philosophical principles, which I think, you know, the, the transcendental argumentation that you've demonstrated today is a great, great use case about that um, because it allows reason. You have to really suppress your reason at that point if you don't want to even accept transcendentals. Um, you know, I think a good book you can read is Aristotle's East and West kind of goes a little bit in that too. Um, but yeah, so I think, you know, I'm excited for that. Please give us some ideas. Um, we want to continue to go down this path, um, you know, with, uh, you know, just highlighting, uh, you know, truth and where it can be found in the most loving way we can. And knowing that there's nothing but grace. And if there's any conviction or, you know, those that might be hearing this for the first time and, and starting to realize like maybe where I'm going um, is the exact opposite of what these guys are telling me I should be at. Don't don't fret. You know, this isn't something that should make you nervous or, or shake or, or feel like you're not a Christian. That's not the case. Um, we want to make it emphatically clear that Christ can work through any church, really. I mean, you see this in Revelation, right? The churches, I mean. He, he had some far, hard, harsh warnings against some of the churches like Laodicea, but nonetheless, he still used people in there. And I think we want to make it clear that God can work and change and restore hearts and clarify through repentance uh, of, of seeing what uh, the truth that has been given to us so we can have that peace and that certainty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest thing is like truth is so important to be able to know because when you walk in truth, uh, you're not going to be hindered by all these heresies. And for anybody to tell you you can't know objectively heresy, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have any nice words to say about them, so I won't say anything uh-huh. else. <laughs> and we're done. Yeah. Okay. Well, until next time, uh, we'll see you on the socials, and uh, we'll catch you later. Yep. Later. All right.